Well, it's great to be here. Um, it's nice being back at home. Um, it's been nearly a month since I was last here. I've been all across the UK, particularly my work with Frontiers, and I wish I had time just to show you some of the stories of what God's doing across the Muslim world. Maybe at the end, if I have a little bit of spare time and I haven't gone on too long, then I might just throw some, some stories out that just kind of bring encouragement and, and hope. But um, this morning, I am, as it says there, I'm going to talk about, you know, we've been doing this series, Surprised by Hope. This is the fourth one. Um, if you haven't listened to the other three, I'd encourage you to kind of go and listen to them on the, the podcast. And we're going to have two more. I think Nigel's doing the next two in the next few weeks. But I have the, the privilege of doing that hope of a second and coming. But before plowing into the, the, the subject, which is an important um, subject, I kind of want to just kind of step back. Um, I kind of want to put on my, I'm one of the people on the leadership team. I want to just put my pastor's hat on and just, um, just kind of reflect on a couple of issues before we, we plow in. And in some ways, this might be more important than even the, um, the subject area. Firstly, I do this every time I, I speak here. I don't know, it's just, I feel like it's my responsibility, but just kind of tr- tying it into the big picture. Why are we doing this series anyhow? You know, while we're doing a series on, on hope, being surprised by hope, what are we talking about? We had these three talks, we've got the, today and we've got two more. And the reason is, for various reasons, but it fits into our, our vision as a church. I'm not expecting you to kind of give me the long vision, but the short vision is hopefully if you've been coming here for at least more than one week, that you will hear us say again and again from the front is, our desire, the reason why we're here as Winchester Vineyard is we feel that we are called to bring our city, our communities into life with Jesus. Kind of bottom line, that's what, that's what we're about. And this links in because I don't know about your communities, I don't know about your city, I know we're in Winchester but I don't actually live in Winchester. But our cities need to encounter the reality of Jesus. They need to be surprised by hope. I don't know about you, the people you talk to at the school gates, at your workplace, but there's a lot of hopelessness around, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anxiety, and they need to encounter the hope of Jesus. And we are the carriers of that hope. And so that's why we're touching on today, I'm kind of giving you like the punchline. When we talk about when Christ comes, he's coming to restore things. That's good news. You know, that, should, that should give us a yeah. He's coming to restore. I don't know about you. That's things I want to see restored. He's coming to restore justice. You know, we touched a little bit about some of the injustice, Nicole, when we're praying. But there's lots of injustice around you. You've got to just look at the news. You've just got to talk to people. I know even in this room, there are people here who have a sense of injustice, stuff that has happened to your life that shouldn't have happened to you. And Christ is coming to restore. He's coming to bring peace. In all the widest sense of how you want to define peace. And like I said, he's coming to bring hope. And that ultimately is the bottom line. So that's why we're talking about it, because we want to grow in it. You know, we can't in some ways give what we don't have. And as we encounter the goodness and the power of God and he changes us, then we can take that into the communities that we're doing. So that's what we're doing. It's not just a an exercise that's filling six weeks of our, our time. This is the reason, because we are wanting to bring our communities into life. So that's the first thing I wanted to throw out. 
The second bit, you can look at it, um, if you know the Bible, a lot of the, particularly the New Testament was written by a person called Paul. And um, he used to write letters to the uh, to various churches. So maybe look at this as Paul's letter to Winchester Vineyard, as in this Paul. <laughs> the other one. It, um, oh, jump forward. And, uh, and there's a couple of verses that kind of linked, uh, came into my mind. This is going to keep creating a, a backdrop. And two verses, one in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 is up there. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then there's a kind of story that um, is found in Acts 17. Paul was kind of preaching and to various people. And there's this one verse I wanted to pick out. And it says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. And, uh, and I kind of come with my pastor's home because I want to encourage and challenge us as we've been looking at some of the things that we've been looking at to press in and examine what we've been taught, to think about what we've been taught, think about what it means. I was reminded of a story, and hopefully it'll make sense. I'm going to give you a story then as I talk. Hopefully it will link together. There's a lot, guy called, um, I think mean, Americans call him Max Lucado, and uh, English tend to call him Max Lucado. And uh, he tells this story, and uh, I want you to just imagine like a, a canteen. Um, and you know when you walk into a canteen, and uh, you can have a choice, a selection of food that you can just go. You've got your little tray, and you're walking along, and you're thinking, I'll have a bit of this and a bit of that. And Katie loves these places because um, they have lots of salads and kind of combination things. And, um, and you're kind of walking along, and there's this kind of little big tray. You know, sometimes they have like trays of things, like metal trays, and it's full of food. And um, he looks at it, it's kind of like, doesn't really recognize it. It's thinking, what is this? You know, it's kind of an it's interesting color. It's all kind of like, you know, all sorts of different colors together. You know, I wonder what it is. So he does like you do when you go to these places. And he says to the person behind the two, he says, what is this? And the person says, oh, this is kind of regurgitated food. It's somebody who's eaten it on your behalf to make your life easier. Remember that over your dinner tonight, this afternoon. <laughs> and uh, the reason I share it, and as um, Max in his book kind of communicates it, is he says, so often we as followers of Jesus are like that. We kind of come to the Bible and we want somebody to kind of read and think about it and then give it to us nicely. We want somebody to do the chewing and get the bones out. And, uh, and I was challenged in relation to myself that I needed to grow in this area. And I felt challenged. I talked to some of the leadership team on Tuesday that this was something that we needed to call each one of us to. You know, we've been having this series, and I remember I kind of popped in. I haven't been in the morning, but I was speaking away, and I kind of deliberately came back to hear Nigel speak on the last talk in this series. I wanted to know what he said, because obviously I was following it. And, uh, and I've talked to a number of people after that, that talk, and... Um, you know, saying, what did you think about it? You know, what's your thoughts on it? And um, probably the most common statement I have was it, was, it was a really nice talk. It was a good talk. And, uh, and, and I'm glad it was nice, and I'm glad it was, it was good. But in some ways, you just can't say that. And the reason I say that was some of the things that Nigel was talking about, you know, last time he'd shared in this series, my apologies for those of you who missed it, they're deep, they're complex things, they're messy, they're controversial. 
You know, I, I, some of the things he said ruffled fellows across the church. Uh, if you just look at it online, it's massive. Somebody described it as this way. If probably in the UK, if you're not aware, there's probably two main great theological people that are really thinking through the, the nuts and bolts of what scripture means and how it applies. And over the years, God has very graciously raised up different people. So one of the ones is the ones you would have heard a few times and you will hear again today. Somebody called N.T. Wright, also known as Tom Wright. The other one is somebody called Alistair McGrath. And this is what he says about N.T. Wright. Wright has lobbed a hand grenade into the world of traditional evangelical theology. It's messy. It's challenging. And my challenge to my, myself is, are we worshipping the Lord, the, the Lord our God with all our mind? You know, some of the things we talk about and we looked at are controversial and they have massive practical implications. Again, I was talking to people after the time Nigel spoke and somebody was saying, you know, I really like this, what Nigel said. And, and also I really love this, I can't remember it came up, I really love this book on kind of end times. And I'm listening to them and I'm thinking, they're contradicting each other. <laughs> or somebody came up to me who I know has a great desire for us as a church to run a particular um, course as a way of helping people reach Jesus. And I'm thinking what that says and what Nigel talks do not line up totally. And so I was challenged myself, and I don't know how you reacted, but I was challenged myself. I need to grow in this area. To worship the Lord your God with all your mind, it costs. It's hard. Again, I don't know about you. This is just me being frank and honest, kind of coming with a pastor's heart. I know it's not the easiest uh, talk. Uh, to say or to share, but um, I was up at four o'clock in the morning the, the, the Monday after Nigel spoke because my mind was buzzing. I was thinking, okay, Nigel says this, what he was teaching, some stuff in NTR, and I said, the implications of this can be this, this, and that. I was, you know, I was wishing I was at the church office so I could find some of my theological books. I was just, you know, looking at verse after verse and thinking, how does this line up? How would it, you know, I was looking at it because I'm very practical and one of my jobs is to sort out these welcome packs. <laughs> it's there. It is there. I'm going to do it somewhere, Joe. But I was thinking, some of the stuff written in those welcome packs would not line up with what N.T. Wright is thinking. I'm not saying N.T. Wright is right, but we've been taught in it and we need to think about our minds and what we hear. And so I challenged myself, you know, am I worshiping the Lord God with all my mind? I realize I've kind of let go of my mind a bit. Some of you, a lot of you actually don't, don't really know me. I was brought up in a, a church, a denomination, where we would discuss Daniel and Revelation for breakfast. And we was like, give me Daniel and Revelation. If, you, if you're new to the Bible, you knew, those are kind of books which are a little bit harder to read, a little bit more complex. We don't recommend. Normally somebody says, I want to start following Jesus. We don't say read Revelation or read Daniel. Uh, I mean, they're great books, but I was brought up with, with, with those. And, um, and just kind of thinking and using my mind. And, you know, it's like, give me those any day, you know, day those books. That, we weren't scared of those books and explaining it. And I realized I'd kind of gone on a, a journey. I think the only person here who's known me the longest actually is probably Joe. But when I used to be at university, that was kind of my, one of my reputations. I was kind of the person that knew my theology. I kind of worshiped definitely with my mind. 
and um, I'm really tired of anybody who thinks the same as me. And uh, and God really, you know, you know, that was definitely a characteristic. Funny enough, I was thinking about it today as I was speaking here. And you know, the the main, the first reason I connected with the vineyard in 1993 was because the Christian CU asked me to go and check it out. Because whenever they were saying they were worried about theologically, they would send me to go and check it out. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to check to see whether the vineyard was a cult. By this time, 93, and hey, I'm still here. <laughs> I've joined it. But, uh, um, but I kind of drifted. I think partly because I just... I found a lot of people that were very similar to me, talked a lot, but didn't do a lot. We talked all sorts about Revelation and Daniel, but at the same time, we weren't impacting the lives of those around us. And I realized for myself, I kind of drifted. Often when I'm with Katie, when we're looking at something that's kind of a bit theologically different, and Katie's always like, well, what about this and what about that? And I'm like, let's just think about what we can apply in our life. And such a practitioner. And like, Katie, why don't you just go and do a theological course? And uh, I was challenged that I'm not necessarily worshiping the Lord, my God, with all our heart, with all my mind. And my challenge to you and to each one of us is to do that. Whatever is taught here in this church, to go away and, and be like the Bereans, to examine it, to think about it, think of what the implications are. What does it mean? What does it look like? As a church, we've got a great reputation of worshipping God with all our heart, as a denomination, with all our heart and with all our souls and all our spirit. But we haven't historically had a great reputation worshiping God with all our mind. I want the whole cake. I don't know about you, I want the whole thing. I want to worship God with everything. And so we need to think things through. My challenge to you is, are you? I don't know, I'm not saying that every one of us, maybe at the end of today, I'm not saying tomorrow, wake up at four o'clock in the morning and start thinking about it. But some of the things that Nigel shared particularly last time, and some of the things I'm going to share today should get you to go away and start thinking. Some of the things I would say today would be totally new to most of you. Some of the things I say today will probably go against what you've ever heard before. I'm not saying it's necessarily right or what I agree with, but the challenge is, as people who follow Jesus, we are invited to enter and study the Word of God and to wrestle with it and to think it through and then to apply it um, in our lives. But you can't apply something unless you have wrestled with it. I'm going to take my pastor's hat off. There's not a few years, it gets harder. And uh, I wanted to grow in that area. So I'm going to look at um, the second coming. You know, last time Nigel was speaking here, I don't have time to kind of go into great depth. But he was talking about heaven and hell and what that means and what that looks like and like I said I'd encourage you to look at it and maybe even after what I said today if it was kind of like you missed some of the intricacies and some of the complications of that they are huge uh, and then go away and kind of re-examine it and look at that and think what does that mean what's it develop into but I just wanted to do one thing I'm going to jump for one oh, I'll go back Just to kind of move it and step into what I'm going to do about the second coming. There's a guy called um, 
have to read off it. Julian Adams is a prophetic guy. And um, he, again, had been greatly affected by some of the stuff that Nigel was teaching on N.T. Wright. And he says, how we think about the reality of heaven and about our access to the presence of God affects how we live in this world. When we have a grasp on the reality of a free access to heaven into the most holy place, we come into a new understanding of how God interacts with us in this present world. And so these things, heaven and hell, and what I talk about today in the sense of the second coming, should affect the way that we live our lives. Yes, we need to wrestle it, we need to think about it, but we need to not just stay there. My father used to say to me, have your head in the clouds and your feet on the ground. And that could be in a number of different things, but one of it is to kind of rest with these things, think these through. But it has to outwork in our everyday life. So the second coming. Um, N.T. Wright, and we're drawing quite a lot. I don't have the copy of the book here, a book called um, Surprised by Hope. And so I'm just going to spend the next few minutes just unpacking some of his thinking on it. Then I'm going to give you a little bit more of my thinking on it. I'm not saying I'm better than N.T. Wright, he's better than me, but just to wrestle these things through. But he starts in a very good place. And uh, it's called the Apostles' Creed. And um, particularly if you've been in the Anglican Church, one of the things they, they do that they're very good at is just taking time just to reflect on some of the core beliefs that we have as a Christian. And it's important to come back to these sometimes. And this one's called the Apostles' Creed. And in some ways, some of this is what we've been teaching on. Uh, and Stephen, uh, which seems a long time ago, spoke about a month ago, about Jesus being crucified, I mean, dead and being buried. And, uh, and kind of building on it, Stephen and Nigel, you know, he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's, I know I kind of put some of you in shock, but that's need to go, yes. And I meant to, can I get you back? And this is what I'm teaching on. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is coming again. Oh, alas, there's still some life there. I, didn't want to, no, I want to challenge you, but I don't want to kill you. But, <laughs> and um, what do we mean by this? And not surprisingly, there's a lot of, kind of ideas and, and thinking about this, what it means and looks like. This is what, as a child, we, we talked about all the time. But let me tell you what and Tom Wright thinks. So this, going back to that quotation by Alistair McGrath, this is a hand grenade moment. This is, you know, when you have those films or you're watching something and there's like, warning. Um, you know, this, there's something that's going to be said or something that you're going to see that's going to challenge your thinking. This is your warning. Now, Tom says, it's hard to answer. What does it mean? What will it look like when Jesus returns? He feels that the whole issue and understanding of it has kind of been taken over by this, for what he would call an obsession with the end times, in which he believes that all end time prophecies are going to be fulfilled. He's very um, critical of some films and some book series that have been out over the years. And the reason why he has such a negative um, perspective on it is twofold. And so this is his thinking. Firstly, in relation to it theologically, um, I hear you. You want, you want a, a hand grenade? 
He argues that we should not be obsessed about the future and his return because Jesus said nothing about his future and his return. He argues that the verses that we, we find and the way that he thinks that Jesus would interpret it would be that they have been fulfilled already. His other main criticism and um, thought is on the practical level. And so his thoughts are the, that there's so much of the focus and obsession with the, the end times is based on fear. And this is what kind of Nigel talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. This kind of idea that following Jesus is all to do with when we die. Rather than it also applies to the now. That Jesus is inviting us to follow him in life and all its fullness right now. Rather than just something that is like a ticket into heaven when we die. He's also critical on the practical level because he feels that all the focus on the end and Christ returning means, I think it was he put it, like damn the earth. Forget about issues of pollution and justice because Christ is coming back again. It's all to do with when when we die. Now, I wouldn't necessarily, um, as you've seen in a minute, when I just share what I think on it, necessarily agree with everything. But I know, uh, because of my work, I deal a lot with um, some American colleagues. And I know often some of that thinking and outworking comes forth in their language. There, as soon as it feels like there's a rejoicing every time there's a natural disaster, because... That's a, a sign of the end times. And there's a difference between having that mentality and outliving that way. So N.T. Wright finishes, because I don't want to spend too much time on N.T. Wright. Okay. Eschatology, the kind of the idea of end times, refers to the strongly held belief of most first-time century Jews and virtually all early Christians that history was going somewhere under the guidance of God. And where it was going was towards God's new world of justice, healing, and hope. The transition from the present world to the new one would be a matter not of destruction of the present space-time universe, but the radical healing. And for me, that bit is the crucial bit. I have my thoughts about the second coming. I have my thoughts about what it will look like. You can ask me afterwards if you want. I might tell you, I might not. For me, the more crucial bit is he's coming. He's coming. But I want to just say a few thoughts. You've heard what Tom Wright says. I can see some shock in your thoughts. I flicked forward. Yeah, I couldn't remember what I wrote. It, uh, firstly, my challenge goes back to thinking with your, your minds and, um, and pressing into Scripture. 
Whether it's Tom Wright or some other great theologian you, you like, there's always a, a danger and an issue when you go one way or the other way. And I, I'm aware it's a tricky situation. One reason why anti Wright thinks the way he does is he tends to interpret Scripture, not literally. So some of the, the great passages that a lot of people would take literally, and I won't go into them because that would be even more controversial, uh, he doesn't. He kind of sees them as a, as a metaphor. And so he kind of sees it more as a parable, something describing that you have to dig deeper to get the, the message. On the other hand, he's on one end, and on the other hand you get the ones that take everything literal. And I'm not saying where I stand, but I think you always have to take care and as you look at stuff, because there's a danger in everything. I know um, Tom Wright is a man who passionately believes in God. But once you start taking everything as a metaphor, some people, some theologians, won't necessarily say they're following Jesus, would argue that Jesus' death and resurrection was a metaphor. And I definitely believe it's a truth and a fact that I live by. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Uh, but once you take everything literal, you also get, because uh, 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 I don't actually know anybody that takes everything totally literal, because if not, we wouldn't be here because we would have sold everything and given it to the poor. You want one verse. But at some point, we will put a boundary and say, this is how far we'll come. We won't take this literally, we'll take this culturally. You know, that's what they did in that culture, so we do not apply it here. A classic example is, you know, in this church, we don't, you know, we don't expect women to cover their head. We would interpret it in a different way. We wouldn't take it literal. And so it's kind of like a sideline, but it's all kind of meshed in. My challenge and encouragement to you, not just in this subject, but in any subject, to think, to examine. It's definitely something I haven't probably done for ages. And I find it so ironic I'm speaking on this subject today. I thought I wouldn't ever speak on it again. I thought I had enough by the time I hit my teenage years. But more than just this subject, I don't want to get bogged down into this subject. As people who follow Jesus, we need to examine, we need to be thinking. And I think I'll put it up there that we need to uh, be careful. And I wrote gracious in how you interpret Scripture. Because even in this room, I know there's different people. I know people that would disagree with some things. I know people that would agree, even with the stuff that Nigel and I have been examining over this past few weeks. But with grace accepting each other, with grace saying, this is what's really important, the things that we talked about in the Apostle Creed. Christ is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. Somebody might say it's going to be this way, somebody might say it's that way. But the crucial thing, he's coming back. And he's coming back to judge. That's good. We need to wrestle. Secondly, I do agree a little bit more with when Tom Ryan when it comes to some of the, the, the practicalities of thinking through how we communicate Christ's second coming. I've had this discussion a lot with my American friends, and particularly when it comes to American politics, and I don't want to get into a big discussion here. Not surprisingly, there's enough things I've talked about. But I know one of the things in the, the UK, some of the things in the UK church, and uh, when I'm working with my UK colleagues, we're way more likely to talk about um, things like fair trade. We're way more likely to think about pollution. We're more likely to talk about things like um, recycling. We're way more likely to talk about um, injustice as it applies to the whole world, not just justice as it applies to Christians. 
to give you a good example, um, challenge your mind, I've often, I've, I've got friends, I love, there's certain organizations in the UK that do a great job saying we need to pray and cry out for Christians that are in prison or being persecuted. I mean, I love those organizations, Open Door, Barnabas Trust, I, I, I love them, but I've also challenged them over the years. I go about, how about going the extra mile? How powerful it would be. I know Muslims are in prison in Egypt because of their beliefs right now. And that's across the, the, the world. Imagine what it would be like if Christians started rising up and saying, just because you're a human being, we're going to protest and sign. That would be powerful. Uh, and so some of these issues um, are way less talked about with some of my American colleagues. And partly it comes from their outworking of their beliefs about the end time. There's also a lot more. One of the things I, I dislike is just the emphasis on fear and negativity. Because yes, however you want to look and, um, and explain some of these verses, God is also doing some amazing stuff. Yeah, I will share a little bit on this in a, in a few weeks' time, but certainly amongst the Muslim world, God is doing some amazing stuff. Hundreds and thousands of Muslims are coming to Jesus. God's doing amazing stuff in the UK. I was in Birmingham a couple of weeks ago. In the last year, 500 Iranians have given their life to Jesus. That, I think that's worth liking her, man. <laughs> that's good. God is doing um, some stuff. And it's kind of where you focus and you make an obsession. Yeah, so I remember as a child when we were talking about end time stuff, it was the communists. And there was a Catholic church. And now increasingly, you know, it's become uh, Muslims and ISIS. I'm not saying that's right or, or wrong, but it's kind of where you put your focus. Even amongst ISIS, I heard this week, some of those extremist groups, there's at least 10 cells, because they tend to operate in cells, who are studying the scriptures to figure out how they can follow Jesus. And now they're kind of figuring it out, and then they're going out and fighting, and you go, well, that's a little bit hypocritical. I don't know about you, I read a lot of stuff that I'm not applying yet. They're on a journey, same as me. But I just rejoice in that. There's stuff out there. And that's where I want to be our focus. As a church, however you think he's going to return, I want us to be part of the solution. I don't want us to fold our arms and just say, well, he's going to come back one day, and that's it. But as soon as our actions seem to say that, even if our words don't. I want to be part of the solution. In Scripture it says, heaven is at hand. Heaven is at hand. It's coming forth. It's going to, heaven and earth kind of coming together. It's a bit like watching a, you know, an eclipse. You ever seen an eclipse? And you're kind of watching it, and it's slowly kind of starting to move, and it's coming over. And it's kind of coming over. You know, you can argue exactly what it looks like when heaven and earth touch. But we're called, and we sang it today. You know, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let the kingdom, the reality, the kingdom of heaven come now, here, on earth. I don't want to wait to the end. And that's one of the things I used to find annoying. It was always about the end. What about now? Let's bring it into the now. What does it look like to pray it for the now? What does it look like to live it for the now? So one day, this is where I'm going to finish. Is where I want to emphasize that we stay. One day Jesus will bring perfect justice. 
peace and wisdom to the earth. Until that day, as his kingdom is coming, we're responsible to bring these things in Jesus' name. How can we be part of that? How can we be an agent to change? How can we bring justice in the world that can be so unfair? It might be some of the things I just mentioned earlier. You know, get connected with things like Open Doors or Barnabas Trust. You just got to look around and you see injustice around. Just talk to people uh, and you soon find about injustices that are happening. Get praying for it. We have a anti-traffic uh, prayer meeting that happens first Tuesday. And that might be a way of doing it. Well, it's, look at the notices and they're disagreeing. And get involved. It might be things like, you know, choosing. We were talking about fair trade. It's fair trade fortnight. And just thinking about, you know, part of justice is justice for everybody. And just thinking about where do you get your coffee from? Where do you get your chocolate from? Where do you get your bananas from? There's lots of other things, but obviously you know that's close to my heart, those subjects. Chocolate and bananas. <laughs> that the main ones aware of. Look at those. To bring peace in a broken and conflict world. Yeah, there's peace issues overseas. Pray about them. Get involved in it. We're bringing peace on our street. We know people where there's broken marriages, broken relationships. If you go to work, in a general workplace, there's tension at some point. How can we be agents of peace there? And lastly, hope in the world filled with fear. And I think that's so crucial because if we don't have hope, what have we got to offer in business, they say that the one who has the greatest hope has the greatest influence. We're called to bring hope. And that's my desire, because so often they talk about the second coming, there's fear that kind of just seems to get his fingerprints all over it. And I don't want that. I want to reclaim the good news of the second coming of Jesus. I want it back, and I want it filled with hope and expectation, not just for the future, but for now. What can we do to bring hope? Who do we know that needs a word of hope? Which one of us here today needs a word of hope? As we come, um, we're going to have a time of um, work, um, a song, and Joe's going to give me a hand, hopefully, tie up this interesting talk. But um, when I was reflecting on this yesterday, I've been reflecting on this for quite a while, ever since I knew I was doing this talk. I haven't thought about a talk as much as this talk for a long time. I'm wrestling with it. But I really felt like God wants to bring some of the taste of his second coming now, today. And there's some of you here that just have, a, um, for whatever reason, a sense of injustice. Something that's happened in your life that shouldn't have happened. And God wants to meet you there. Some of you need a peace. And some people need hope. And so I'd encourage you, we're going to have a time, and I just encourage you, that is you, come to the front. And in particular, I was saying to you earlier, I feel one of the most powerful ways that we can be parts of agents of change 
is grown in what's called the prophetic. And what I mean by the prophetic, without doing a talk on it, is if God the Father was here, what would he say to you that would encourage you and edify you to be able to live your life? So I don't know, does anybody here want a prophetic word? I've got one, is that it? Okay, lots of people are here. Who wants to grow in this area? Okay, what I want you to do is when we start the song, so Sam might be the only person who can actually stand up because all these band one words, is I want you to come to the front. And then I want you just to kind of find people, maybe in twos or threes, and just start releasing the word of prophecy into each other's lives. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I'm going to take that one literal. Um, let's take that opportunity. So Sam, why don't you come up? I don't know if Joe's got any other ideas, but I just really want a release. We want to see breakthrough in our lives, and we've got each other to do that.